This episode of The Gentleman's Brotherhood is brought to you in part by the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. To unlock an exclusive selection of perks, including early access to our content and your name in the credits of future videos, please visit patreon.com slash Juan Sepulveda. Is masculinity dying? Should anyone be scandalized if a man wears a dress? Are there specific roles that men are expected to follow in society? If so, who determines those roles anyway? Today, comedian Zoltan Kazas joins us in a funny and candid conversation about the modern male. The celebrated comedian, who has an amazing talent for observational comedy, has a stand-up comedy special titled just that, Modern Male. You may have seen him before on Dry Bar Comedy with his hilarious set about his cat, Jessica. We invited him to join us after he published in his YouTube channel a funny yet insightful reaction video about Harry Styles being featured on the cover of Vogue magazine and people's interesting reaction to it. Join us in this candid conversation with this talented comedian as we explore the serious and sometimes funny side of behaving like a man in today's society. You're listening to The Gentleman's Brotherhood. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Gentleman's Brotherhood. I am your host, Juan Sepulveda, and I thank you for taking the time to join me as we explore all these different topics about being a gentleman in the 21st century. And today, I have the great pleasure of being with Zoltan Casas. Zoltan, thank you so much for being with us in The Gentleman's Brotherhood. Hey, thank you so much uh, for having me. This is, uh, I think it's a cool podcast and appreciated you had me included. Oh, it is totally my pleasure. Uh, Zoltan is a professional comedian. He is one of the best in the game out there. And if you haven't seen his comedy, I encourage you to actually check it out. Uh, I'll be putting links here in, in the show so that you can get some of the highlight reel of, right. of what he's all about. Zoltan, I, I came across your comedy a few years ago. Uh, particularly one thing that stood out was the dry comedy bar. Yeah, yeah, dry, uh, dry bar comedy. Dry yeah, bar yeah, comedy. There you go. Yeah, that special got. Uh, that's the one that got uh, got me all the attention, which has been more than I ever expected. That's great, and yeah. the the content was great. Your delivery was on point, and it was clean. Yeah. It was something yeah. that I could easily show uh, my my Nana, as you described it in, <laughs> in, in the comments and without any kind of problem, not that there's any problem with, you know, peppering some, uh, right. some spice in, in comedy, but I appreciated that that being the gateway drug to, to Zoltan right. was, <laughs> uh, was clean. I, I would like to hear from you considering that the, there is such a variety of, of delivery out there in the comedy world. Uh, can you give us a little insight into, what it means to you to be able to have a clean delivery and even in the ones that you have some kind of um, topics that are perhaps more adult oriented, you still right. happen to hold some sort of respect. Can you give some insight into that, please? I mean, as far as like what it can do for you, it just leaves more doors open of places to perform, um, especially before you start selling tickets and making your own audience. You know, as a, as a, I was a working comedian before I could sell any tickets, if that makes any sense. I was performing at colleges, um, uh, private events, uh, you know, comedy clubs, of course, too, also cruise ships. And if you're cleaner, it just leaves those avenues open to you. Um, and so that, that part definitely helps. But as far as like going clean further on, the first comedy special I watched was Sinbad, Afros, and Bell Bottoms. Uh, from the 90s and there was like a while when I was in the fifth grade where they just had that special on a loop it seemed like on Comedy Central and I always mm -hmm. watched it with my mom so it was cool like watching comedy with my mom that was clean that we didn't have to cringe about but that was like hilarious I didn't even think of it at the time that it was the, the fact that it was clean it was just something my mom and I watched together and uh, I guess growing up on that and then I, being asked to perform clean on dry bar i did that and then so the audience kind of expected that when they came to my show which i'm still balancing out 
myself. Like, I wasn't necessarily a clean comic before Drive Bar. I wasn't filthy. It was just kind of, you know, if I said something, I said something. I just wanted to be honest and mm -hmm. talk about things I thought were funny. Um, and now I'm kind of balancing that between an audience that comes in expecting clean. I don't want to disappoint them. I want to entertain them. But I also don't want it to limit myself from talking about things that I want to talk about. So, yeah. and I can find a creative way to do it without being filthy, which I think... Uh, I, I, I think you end up coming up with more creative words when you try not to use, you know, a bunch of F-bombs. And I, I see uh, it. a lot of times those words end up being a lot funnier. So I don't know. There's a million ways to do comedy. That's just kind of the way I go at it. No, that's and, good. But you yeah, don't have my, a hard you don't have a hard stand on. Oh, no. I just don't do this or I don't do the other. So no. which I like that because it, it comes across to me, at least as a more genuine kind of thing. Like, for example, if you if you were sitting here in my living room and we were having a conversation, our, the majority of our conversation would be clean. My kids are around doing their thing, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Especially with your kids around. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and how many drinks? <laughs> right, right. And how many drinks? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So but you, you'll hit a spot in that conversation where you'll you'll say something. You'll say sure. a word that makes them prick their ear. And yeah. that's fine. You didn't hurt anybody. You you got your point across so it's not like uh it's not a a judgmental point of view that oh i just don't no. use profanity but i am selective it's my it's in my bat belt so yeah yeah it's it's kind of uh i mean it's there um especially when i'm doing a joke for a first time usually when i go on stage with a newer joke it's more of a concept i don't really have all the beat points i don't i might not even have a punchline I'm just like trying to figure it out on stage. I got this idea. And the first words that come to your mind to like get to some funny parts are the four letter words. And sometimes, you know, they'll come out on stage when I'm like working a bit out. And then the more and more I do it, I'm like, oh, I can do this word. I can do that word. I can, and then it starts to build from there. So I don't have like a hard stance on it. And I definitely don't have any judgments towards comics that work whatever style they work. I you know, I, I feel weird calling it an art form, but it's like the cool thing of comedy is the individuality of it and the fact that you write your own material, you perform it. And I don't know. I, I don't think that should be impeded upon. Now, I think it's it, right now, of course, we're living through a very polarized era and right. you have what's described as the cancer, uh, cancel culture. Of course. Yeah. Your craft in particular is one that's honed out live in front of an audience yeah. and that seems like a minefield to me and oh, yeah. can you can you give me a little bit of insight of when it comes to like especially your peers i'm sure that you see this all the time where you have friends in, in the business who perhaps are also navigating the, those treacherous waters and right. happen upon one of those mines and, and and get a little bit of uh of shrapnel, so to speak, uh, <laughs> when it comes to that. So, you know, what has been your experience with that and, and how have you been able to not restrict the crafting of your, of your jokes and of your routines right? and still be open to really speak your mind? Yeah. I mean, it's something I think about. Um, I don't know. Like uh, it's, it's definitely weird to try things out live in front of people. Uh, one of my, uh, there was a comedy documentary that came out years ago. One of my friends was on it and he, it, he described it as trying to learn to play guitar, hmm. except imagine that the only place you can learn that there's only one guitar in your town and there's going to be people that come out and watch you practice that guitar. That's the only way you get to practice. That's kind of what it's like doing comedy, especially doing new material. You have to do it in front of people and you kind of have to figure out based on their reaction, where you can go and where you can't go. And sometimes, yeah, you go over the line to that audience. Does that mean you went over the line overall? I mean, that's a judgment call. Um, but, you know, you have to do it by trying it out. And that's just how it goes. As far as like cancel culture goes, um, I don't I, I don't know if it's real. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, I don't know if they kill a career uh, especially when it comes to material that people say. Now, there's like the sexual misconduct stuff that even then, like Louis C.K. came back and performed and he's still performing in, in big venues before, you know, the world ended. 
Um, so there seems to be like a timeline that you have to wait for. But specifically speaking about material, I I haven't seen too many people get canceled on that. The one thing I do have an issue on that is like if you if they look up material you did 10 years ago mm. and then they go, can you believe this person said that? It's like, yeah, but that was accepted 10 years ago because the mm -hmm. video clip that you found has a room full of people laughing their asses off. Mm -hmm. You know, comedy, I've always said comedy doesn't age like wine. Comedy ages like milk. Comedy is, it does. It Comedy <laughs> is, uh, it's speaking on the culture of now. Yeah. This is what's acceptable now. This is what's funny now. Now there will be some jokes, maybe a lot of jokes that are funny 10, 20 years from now. But for the most part, if you put on, if right now we played Evening at the Improv from the 80s or 90s, even the jokes that aren't offensive, we might roll our eyes going, wow, I can't believe people laughed at that back then. Mm -hmm. And that's because for the most part, comedy ages like milk. It's for that era. So to judge jokes from 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago with today's eyeballs, I think is really unfair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And I, I pay a lot of attention to what's happening in the political world. I, yeah. you know, it interests me a lot. And I also see a vein of that there. For example, I am an individual who, if, if you give me new data, I'm going to weigh it out and I'm going to make a new decision based on the new data. Yeah. I can't be married to the idea that I had before having a full view of the information. And in the political realm, that is punished. You, they they place either they show a tweet or back you know like back in the days they'll pull a some kind of clip and show a political uh, person sharing an opinion that he has changed his mind on, and now he's a flip flopper. He's right. not trustworthy because look what he said twenty years ago. Yeah, twenty years ago, what was I doing twenty years ago? You right. know? <laughs> so. Uh, I, I can see how that can be unfair. Now, bringing this back to the to the conversation of the modern gentleman, when I reached out to you the first time was because you had started talking about Harry Styles, who was yes. featured in Vogue magazine. Now, this is right. a big deal because it's a traditionally it's a magazine that only featured females in the cover, and here you have a prominent male figure in in the pop music uh, arena in a dress. Right. And I loved your response to it. And I encourage, I'm going to put links to, to that video because it, when I heard you speak about it, I practically threw my hands up and it's like, yes, this guy gets it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything new. I mean, the, my, because I was such a big fan of basketball in the nineties and Michael Jordan and the Chicago bulls, Dennis Rodman was my favorite player. Like I remember, you know, during a book signing, he showed up in a wedding dress and that was in 96 as a professional athlete. And so, I mean, for Harry Styles to do it, I think it's cool that, you know, it's definitely noteworthy, but the, the fact that it still causes any kind of outrage, anything at 20, you know, 25 years later, 20 years later, however long it's been, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what the big deal is, but, um, I, it was interesting in the sense that I, I scrolled through social media on Twitter and everyone had the opinion they were supposed to have. Like you were talking earlier about like, you're not allowed to grow or flip flop or have a different opinion. Well, it's seemingly that was the case. Like all the prominent uh, socially conservative people said that this is killing masculinity and all the prominent, uh, you know, uh, left-leaning left social people were like, this is beautiful, this is great, this is an expression of this. I don't know if either thing is true. I, d I definitely don't think it's killing masculinity. I also don't think it's tearing down walls. I, I think it's, I think it's something that exists and it's not a bad thing. I think he's a pop star that did it for uh, some attention. Maybe he wears dresses in his day to day, which is cool too. Sure. Um, but it, that was the purpose for it to get that conversation going. And this idea of masculinity, which I, which I talked about in that clip in the sense that it's always changed yep. every 25, 50 years, every hundred years, masculinity changes so much. And mm -hmm. the previous generation is always going to think this one's less manly. Like that's just the way it goes. My generation, the, the millennials got ripped on a lot 
And now we're turning our attention to the next generation. My younger brother, who's 13 years younger than me, now we're ripping on their generation. And then the boomers and are ripping on us. But I know the boomers got ripped on by whatever the generation was before that. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps going that way. Yeah. I mean, even if I was thinking about this, even if you take our military, which uh, is there anyone more masculine than, than people that fight in war? But if you picture how they fight in war today, and if you talk to like sh- soldiers from the Revolutionary War, where they stood in rows of three with the dude hitting the drums <laughs> off to the side, and you just shot the guy that was right there, I'm sure they would look at modern soldiers and be like, well, you guys aren't as manly as we are. And it's like, yeah. who's right? Is anybody right? I, I kind of don't think so. Yeah. And, and where's the measuring stick? Like, where, right. like, how are we measuring this? And, and that's the approach that I, I really enjoyed because in the Gentleman's Brotherhood, we are exploring this together. We're trying to figure out, okay, yes, we have this romantic, uh, romantic idea of what a gentleman is. We want to we wanna try to pin this down. And there's also the socially um, acceptable today idea of what masculinity is. And those, those two are not necessarily the same thing. You have, in my opinion, there are a lot of elements about being a gentleman that are timeless. When you talk about different virtues like uh, integrity and honesty and uh, tenacity, industry, they're not exclusive to just men, but these are virtues that gentlemen should exercise, that they, find, they should find, okay, where am I in the spectrum of courage? Am I a coward or am I a, uh, you know, careless <laughs> person? Like, where do I land on that? And can I improve upon it? Whereas masculinity is an ever changing, ever morphing nebulous idea that right. some people believe it to be something. Like I have uh, peers in in this this whole uh, menaissance, as some people call it, uh, this this movement to help men really become uh, familiar with their identity and what it means to be a man in, in today's society. I have some of these friends that you look at them and they look like you've described it, flannel shirt, camel pants, like ripped out of a hunting magazine. Right. Anything that deviates from that, in their opinion, is effeminate or is... right or is uh, incorrect, or it's you know detrimental to society. So I like a quote that you said, and I wanna quote you, right? You said, masculinity isn't dying. It never had an identity. Right. That was perfect. Yeah, I didn't even realize how like that, it was just something I said in the moment. And, uh, but yeah, I agree with it. It's not dying, it's just, it, it's ever changing. It's water, it's fluid. It, uh, it's gonna be very different 25 years from now. We're, we're going to, you know, 25 years from now, they're going to look back at modern men today and go, you know, what a bunch of boneheads, what a bunch of, you know, macho for no reason, <laughs> you know, boneheads. <laughs> and then it's going to change then too. And, and uh, I don't know, I think we're evolving in that aspect of just like limiting ourselves because we put ourselves in these boxes of men do this, women do that. And uh, I think one of the reasons I've, I've never looked at it that way is uh, because I was raised by a single mom. So I didn't have that male aspect in the house. My mom was like, you know, if, if you would have said that washing the dishes is woman's work in my mom's house, you were in, uh, you, you're going to get hit in the face. You're going to get hit in the face hard. Uh, so I just didn't grow up with that. I don't know, with that in my, in my, in my household. Yeah. And, we see a lot of that uh, before we started recording. We we kind of touched up on this this topic because yeah. one of the statistics that I found is that in 2015, which is one of the latest studies that I found, it, it described that 40% of young men that grow up in the United States don't have a male figure to follow in the household. That means not a dad, not a uh, an uncle or a grandfather. And usually the response I hear when I mention that people are like, oh, my God, 40 percent. Yeah, that's tragic. If you assume that the other 60 percent have a good male model in their head, you know, it yeah. could be a complete jerk or someone completely inadequate to you know, raise a young man. 
That is so true. The, just the other day, I posted this clip. I shared it on uh, on Instagram. It was a video of the Ultimate Warrior. It was a pro wrestler from the '90s, oh, and he was doing some kind of weightlifting exercise circuit clinic with like a bunch of teenagers. And he's just yelling at him, cussing at him, doing all this stuff. It's thoroughly entertaining. It's very funny to watch. But I remember, like, I watched it, and my first thought was, man, I'm glad I grew up without a dad. Because what if that was my dad? Just, like, yelling at me in front of my friends to do, like, 10 more squats. <laughs> and I'm like, I could have gone without that. I would have hated that guy if that was in my household. No, that's that's funny. And the thing is, like, let's say, for example, I, I, I see what you've what you've become. And I'm pretty sure that your mother would be proud to see what you've accomplished and to see how you comport yourself in, in, in the public, in the public eye, at least. I don't know what you're doing. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in private. I'm just, I'm just hitting people. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. My mom's, my mom's happy with, uh, with the way I've turned out so far. That's for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's, it's about balance. If you do some punching in the, every now and then it's, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> for solid reasons. Yes. Yeah. You need to be justified. Yeah. But it is, in my opinion, I think it's it's important for us who are now perhaps in, in a public view and we have uh, a, a forum and we have a platform to deliver that there is some sort of, of guidance we offer, right? Now, it's not your responsibility to raise strangers' kids through your comedy, but right. but I know that sometimes you'll you'll say something in your in your in, in your performance that makes people think. It makes people consider uh being courteous and consider respecting other people respecting other people's opinion and and i think that we we do great service whenever we actually use our platform every now and then at least to sprinkle some of that that perhaps we missed or perhaps we've learned after um long arduous attempts to find ourselves right yeah i think i think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard. I think Bukowski said it. He said, whether you're trying to chase something creative or find your identity, uh, the best thing to do is don't try. You know, whatever you do naturally is whatever you're supposed to do. So um, that doesn't mean don't search for things. But I mean, if you just naturally live in life and just hang, you'll gravitate towards the things you enjoy and you'll act the way you would like to act and try to block out the outside pressures of that, uh, which, which I definitely agree with. But yeah, it's a lot of, um, I don't know. I think a lot of the pushback from people that push back towards changes in, in, in the social aspect really just come from a stance of like, I don't want to learn that. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. I've been talking about this on stage recently where, where, you know, all of the you know transgendered people and then non-binary and all these different terms, pansexual, all these different terms. I think people hear that. And then when people go like this, the other side goes, oh, you're offended by this. And it's like, I don't know if they're necessarily offended. I think they just look at it as now I have to learn this new word. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the point of it is, no, this is what I've been saying on stage. You don't have to learn this new word and where this came from was I've heard the definition to pansexual a hundred times and it's not sticking. And it made, it scared me. And I was like, oh, is this where I start becoming ignorant? Cause I've stopped learning. And no, I don't have to know the definition of that word. And neither do you, you just have to be nice to everybody. And then uh, you're gonna be fine. You're I not gonna that. be canceled because someone's gonna run up to me and give me a pop quiz on what uh, non-binary means. They're not gonna do that. I just, I just don't treat anyone crampy no matter what they're wearing or how they're acting or whatever. I just, you know, be polite to everyone and you'll never get in trouble. So that's like the point I'm trying to get across. But I really think that's where the pushback comes from, where someone goes, now I have to learn that. Mm-hmm. No, you don't actually. Yeah. Some people, they, they see it as a, as an imposition on them. And of course I've right. seen people who, who take that approach. They, uh, they're aggressive about the way in which they deliver the education. And yeah. for someone who is, uh, resistant to it, that's a clash that will go nowhere. You will make no headway <laughs> by pushing and the other person is not going to open up to it. So right. education, I think it's, is the, is the biggest thing. Like right. no, nothing makes you understand something better than actually either engaging in it or seeing it or meeting someone who's gone through it. Like I have friends that have gone through life experiences that I don't identify with because they're so far removed from what my experience is 
But when mm-hmm. I see their struggle and when I see their suffering and when I see their victories, when I see their, their joyous moments, then I, I get it. I'm like, ah, now, now I know. And, right. and I can be more empathetic. I can put myself in their, in their shoes. Absolutely. I, f- I feel like if, uh, if more of us took that approach where we take a stand back, step back and go, well, I don't know what this person's been through. I know what I've been through. And maybe if they knew, they would have a different opinion of me and, and vice versa. I think if more of us did that, then it would be a, it would be a lot better place. But we're, we're not doing that because we, we communicate on these. Yes. Now, this is what separates us. It's not one-on-one conversation. The Gentleman's Brotherhood is made possible in part by the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. Our supporters unlock access to benefits, including an insider's look into the Sepulveda studio, exclusive access to bonus content, instant access to a secret podcast called The Chamber, and much more. To help support the creation of content that makes a difference in the lives of men, visit patreon.com slash Juan Sepulveda. There was a clip uh, a friend of mine sent me. It was George Carlin from an interview in 92. And the interviewer goes, so do you hate people? Because he always would crap on society, you know. Mm-hmm. And he, he thought about it and he goes, no, actually, I love people individually. When you talk to someone individually, I love them. They're, you can get along with them. You can find common ground. It's when people start getting into groups and start stepping back into their beliefs and once they start clamoring together that's when that's when i start hating people that's what carlin said mm-hmm. and so i was like oh oh yeah that that makes a lot of sense because individually i've talked with people that i don't see eye to eye with on maybe anything but we'll find mm-hmm. something to talk about we can talk about football we can talk about beer we'll figure it out yep but once people start backing into groups everyone has to stay along their lines of their ideological lines like this is what we believe this is what you believe now we fight and change nobody's minds yeah creating that that separation is in a sense it's if you do it unconsciously and you see that grouping of and i'm sure you're in in san diego right yeah i'm sure you hear people talking about you californians i'm i'm in florida you know what happens in Florida politically. <laughs> yeah. You know how my... And, and it's a swing state. So there's... It's it's always... Every four years, it comes down to Florida and Ohio and Pennsylvania, like a handful of these states that are real swing states. And yep. California, I mean, all the time, you know, the, oh, well, you liberals in California. And it's like, actually, California, we always vote blue. But there's a lot of conservative people here. It, we, of course. They vote blue because of the density of population in San Francisco and Los Angeles. San Diego is actually pretty conservative because it's a military town. Mm. So we have all the military branches are represented here. There are a lot of liberal people here, too, but it's a lot of conservative folks. And I don't know. I don't think California is so one-sided as they believe. Um, Neither are people. No. That's that's the whole point. It's like, and and you say it perfectly. Okay, Talk one-on-one to people, like get to know people and you'll see, you'll have way many more things in common than you do differently. Like one expression that I've heard, especially in the last four to six years, well, they hate America. Like really? They hate America because they want to pay a fair wage to people. They They hate freedom because they want to give equal opportunity to, to other, to other individuals they don't hate america they don't hate freedom they're not trying to destroy the republic these are people that love their children that want a better future for them that perhaps are invested in their communities and they want their communities to thrive and they have a way of thinking of how to achieve that so you know i i love that language in a sense the the language arts communication uh comedy poetry, music, all of these art forms are are part of the solution to help people get to know one another better and, and, and treat each other with dignity. Right. That's a, a very well, very well said. Yeah, everyone's, I don't know, I don't think we're at war with each other. I think people are just trying to, everyone's trying to better their situation and their kids situation. And 
you know, their, their community situation. And that doesn't have to come at the expense of someone else's community. And I don't think it does, Mm -hmm. but they've definitely, they, I mean, you know, uh, the way certain politicians talk, they've definitely set it up that way. That way, if if that group does this, that means you guys go down. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's, I don't think that's the way it is, but I understand where that fear comes from. Fear. That's That's a lot of it. It's, it's fear. Absolutely. Now, and that's a perfect segue to, we talked earlier about the fact that whenever you're out there crafting your, your jokes and putting together your sets, a lot of it is happening out in the public eye. You're going yeah. to, you're going to a, a comedy store, you're going to the, a, a, a comedy location, and then you're throwing out some of your ideas in the rough. Mm-hmm. It, and I, I'm an artist by trade and I do paintings and it would be like me showing everybody my sketches for to see their face reaction or to hear their comments as I'm trying to craft the final painting. Right. That's brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's in a way it's good and bad. And uh, it's bad because of the pressure. You're like, oh, I hope people like this idea and you have to present it confidently. And then based on the reaction, you adjust uh, accordingly. Um but it's also good in the sense it's like, well, what if I just stayed inside and wrote my new hour and I, I just performed it once and that was the finished product? Well, I don't have any audience feedback building this hour. Yeah. So there's a good chance a lot of this is going to suck because <laughs> I need their response to know, oh, this punchline worked. This tag really worked. The way I worded this is better than the way I used to word it before. All of that need you need people for that. Uh, so in a way, yeah, that it's very different from music and other forms of art where you need people there reacting to it, so you know what to change, what not to change, where to dig deeper, where to word something different to dig deeper, you know, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Yeah. No, that's cool. But you touch up on a word there that I, I I'm trying to drive into, and it's confidence. I'm right. confidence when it comes to me trying to help other men in their in building their character and building themselves up as as better gentlemen confidence comes into play and it's not something that comes easy to a lot of people so you right. got have you have this experience with confidence in your craft and is there a bleed into your personal life how do you also build that confidence and how how have you built the confidence to the point where you are right now which you you look, you look very confident and prepared and ready to face the world, the world whenever you're up on stage. So give us a little insight into how you've got to that point. Well, as far as being confident on stage, it's just the years I've been doing stand up. Hmm. Um, you know, I started in 2006, so I've been doing it for a long time. I, I'm very comfortable on stage in front of people. I still get nervous uh, putting out new jokes because I don't know the response. <laughs> so that part is uh, maybe not n- nervous and like a little anxious. You know, you're like, I want to get it out, but I want I don't know how they're going to respond. I hope they like it. But if they don't, maybe I can go this way. Um, as far as in person, I, I don't I'm, I'm sure comedy had something to do with just my confidence going up in person. But I also think that that comes with maturity. And, and time, you know, obviously I'm a lot more confident than I was as a 22 year old, 23 year old than I am at 33, but I'm sure going up on stage for all these years has had something to do with it. Um, I'm actually not that outgoing in public. Like if I was, let's say at a house party where I didn't know anybody, I'm not just going to stand up and start like commanding the room. I'm actually kind of a wallflower and I like to listen. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, you know, kind of work my way into a group and then start talking. But I'm actually kind of a shy, reserved person by nature. Um, A lot of times when I used to have day jobs uh, and they would find out I do comedy, their first response was, really? You? You barely say four words. And I was like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I open up when I'm on stage. Um, But then once I get to know my coworkers, get to know the setting, get to know everyone on a one-on-one level, then I can open up. And start cracking more jokes in in that kind of setting, you know. You know, it's funny because it reminds me when I when I was growing up, I changed schools regularly. Oh, I, so did I. Yeah. 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 And one comment that I would get from teachers after a few years, you know, or at, towards the end of a new year in a school, they they would say, "Juan, 
you've changed. Like you weren't like this <laughs> because I would become very, uh, you know, I, I was a jokester and I, wow. I would just prank people and I would joke around and I was very outgoing. But at the beginning, I was very reserved because I didn't know anybody and I was opening up. But, but it was that whole opening up to, to people. When people get to really know you, they, oh, yeah, this guy's not so uptight. He's actually a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and that's the same way I was. I went to like five different elementary schools. So it was, you know, every little bit we'd move and I'd have to make new friends. And it was always a little slow in the beginning. But then once mm -hmm. I started to open up, I was always able to connect with people. And I'm sure that helped with, I don't know, communicating. Because also one of the things I like to do when I do comedy, especially when I talk about anything political or social, I never try to just say this side's right and that side's wrong. Mm -hmm. I always try to ride this line where I get my point across, but I also don't bury the other side. I go, I see where you guys are coming from because of this. And I actually think that came from when I was a kid moving to different elementary schools and having to make new friends because sometimes you'd meet, not that kids are very opinionated about politics or social or anything, but you know they have their different personalities and being able to meld into that and play off of one person's personality as opposed to another's mm -hmm. and being able to get along with both uh i think is something that i learned by being forced to have to make friends in you know all throughout the years yeah that takes skills it, it takes that overcoming the fear you know i right. think of my, my children have been fortunate that they've been in the same school basically all their life oh, and yeah. they grow with the same kids and everything right. but sometimes i think man they could really use a little uh uncomfortable yeah <laughs> you know let's put them in this let's shuffle them up a little put them in, in a different kind of school get them to know new people get right. to understand a different kind of culture so i think there's a lot that we can learn from from that i need to i need to pull on, on that thread a little bit more and analyze that that whole dynamic yeah. one of the uh, one of the best things that happened by pure accident is that i went to two very different school districts when my mom and i moved to pittsburgh my mom was a live-in housekeeper for a very wealthy family. So I lived in a really rich neighborhood in Pittsburgh, even though we were poor. And I went to a really great elementary school. It was a public school, but, you know, property taxes there were high, so it was really nice. And then we moved to San Diego, and we lived at first in, like, a middle-class community. And But I could tell the school wasn't as nice as the one I went to in Pittsburgh. And then after that, we moved to a really poor community, and I went to a really crappy school. And I was like, wow. Like, so I learned that not every kid in America is getting the same education. It's definitely based on what neighborhood you live in, but I learned that by actually being in it. And um, I think that was a good thing because if you go to one school and you go to, uh, and you grow up there and let's say it's a really good school, you go, well, everyone had these opportunities. Why aren't you where I'm at? And it's like, yeah. well, it's, it's not the same at all. And you get to interact with different kids from different backgrounds and, I think all of those things really helped kind of shape my perspective that everyone thinks they're right because of the setting they grew up in. And it's just because they don't know each other on that level to understand that, yes, people do have a different upbringing than I did. And it just, it just takes a few minutes of conversation. Yeah. And, and having, having that empathy, I think that's, that's having that understanding that there are people that are in a different circumstance than us. Yeah. And, my wife and I have been talking a lot about this. Um, the fact that tax property taxes and all that is what determines the quality of school. I, I see that as so backwards in, in our eh, country. It does not make it. I don't know why it's not even, but it's so twisted. I, I really, I, I, I really hope it, if I have anything to do with it, I, I would put as much pressure as possible to make sure that there's an, an, an equality of opportunity from the educational standpoint. Yeah. It, I think that's crucial for the future of, of, of this country, because it, like you said, it, it's, it's unfair. These, you think, Oh, well, everybody had the same opportunities, not even close, not no. even close. Yeah. What kind of music class did you have? Have you seen the music class my kids have? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I mean, just to give you an example, I mean, this is many years ago. But early 90s, I'm at the, at the very rich elementary school, O'Hara uh, Elementary School, which is in the Fox Chapel School District. Um, we had a music class in first grade. So we would go to a different classroom. We were given instruments. And we also had a vocal class. 
and our parents were given progress reports on how our vocal our singing voices were developing and yeah and this is a public school this isn't a private school this is a public school and we also had an art class where we had a kiln and we were making like cool like mugs and stuff for mother's day and all this stuff and so i went to that school for a couple of years then we went to uh moved to san diego and it was just we didn't have there was no music <laughs> there's no there's no progress reports on our vocal cords developing it was such a big difference and then we went to when we moved to the trailer park and i went to a school that um was predominantly poor mexican families and uh i was like and th th that school was falling apart it had been built in the 50s it was it was like I noticed it. I was like, this school is falling apart. It's not that the teachers didn't care. Mm -hmm. It's just that they just didn't have, you know, they didn't have the resources and everything. And really that was, there was such a big difference of what I learned going to the rich schools and what I learned going to the poor schools that it's, it was very noticeable. Um, so yeah, we were not all, we don't get to all start on the same foot. And that is, especially when it comes to public education, that is something mm -hmm. we should switch. Absolutely. Yeah. That's something definitely worth looking at yeah now i wanted to switch gears and i wanted to to delve into you mentioned earlier outside pressure and you recently well right now it's it's already at 1.65 million yeah views. modern mail yeah modern mail great great uh i'm put, gonna put links in it so people can can check it out but when it turned it, it reached a million views you actually celebrated with a cake Yeah. And which I thought was funny. Uh, when I first started watching, I'm like, there's no way this dude's going to eat that whole cake. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I almost went into a diabetic coma halfway. Yeah, I, like, I can't eat any more of this cake. I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't doubt it. But uh, what you did is that you actually went into the comment section to to read people's comments about your comedy. Now, right. I'm not a comedian. Right. I, I I'm a podcaster, YouTuber, and... Yeah. I know better. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. But you knew better and, and it worked because you read some very, very funny stuff in there. Yeah. But what I want to hear is how do you actually deal outside of that one video? I want to hear yeah. how do you deal with that whole outside pressure or, or social feedback that we get now with social media in light that the majority of the children today, that's their gauge for their own worth. That's yeah. And that's so crazy. Cause I'm, I'm a 33 year old adult and there are some comments that come through sometimes that were like, well, I don't want to say ruin my day, but at least ruin a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm grown. Like I pay tax. I'm a, I'm an adult. I can't imagine if I was getting those comments as a 13 year old or a 10 year old. I, you know, I, I, they're not equipped to so emotionally to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, being old enough, I am. And it still bothers me sometimes. Sometimes I'll read a comment and I'll be like, man, I really want to. And then I'm like, why am I even wasting my time responding to this? Every once in a while I will, if I can find a funny angle. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, I ignore it. Um, but the way I deal with it, especially with the comments on Modern Mail, most of the comments were really good. Like if you look at the thumbs up to thumbs down ratio, it's going great. Nice. Uh, so like the bad comments I read, someone left a comment under that video and go, oh, why don't you read the good ones? And I'm like, well, because those aren't funny. Uh, I very much appreciate all the good ones. Those are the ones that were that made me able to read the bad ones, because if they were all bad comments, I wouldn't have been able to read that. I would have closed this laptop and then went and hid in a corner. But thankfully, it was more positive than negative. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not a dad. I don't have any kids and I'm sure it's impossible, but if I was a dad, I would try to keep them as far away from social media as possible until they're older. I, I don't, you know, take the, uh, cause kids criticize each other anyway, but at least have them do it in person. No, and they're brutal. They're, yeah, they're, of course they're brutal. I was, I was mean in middle school. I was horrible because in middle school, I found out I was funny, but I didn't know how to be funny without there being a victim. I needed wow. someone to poke fun at. And I liked the response because all the kids would laugh, but I would always also see the look in that kid's eye that I made fun of and be like, oh, that hurt. Mm -hmm. And when you're on this, you don't have that. You don't see like the damage you're doing to somebody. Oh, that's a great point. 
Yeah, you don't see their eyes. You don't like if you if I walk up to someone and and say they're they look ugly and they should walk backwards to save society. <laughs> you know, like it's funny to just joke about you, but if I actually went up and said, I don't know, I couldn't say horrible. that into someone's face because I know yeah. that I can assume what that would feel like, and I would yeah. feel like getting punched in the face emotionally. Yeah, and I'd At rather least- not make someone feel that way. At least not in Puerto Rico. You can do that. You can pull that. <laughs> I grew up in Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that probably wouldn't fly over too well. No. Yeah. No. Probably, you're probably going to get punched. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how kids are supposed to deal with it. As an adult, I always try to focus on the positive comments, too. But what if I release a video where it's all negative comments? Hmm. I got to deal with that, you know. Yeah. And I guess the way I try to rationalize it is if someone really felt this way, they'd come up and say it to you in person. Hmm. And it was like, who who does that? That's rarely ever going to happen. They're just yeah. comments. But sometimes I wanted to hear that. Are, yeah, sometimes people are having a bad day. Sometimes yeah. I'll leave a bad comment. And then I'll realize, why did I leave that comment? Oh, it's because I was in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. And then I took in this video with my bad mood. And then I'm sitting on the toilet telling someone I've never met that I, I hope he's dead in a ditch or something. you know. And then <laughs> it goes out that way. So. You know, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned that the whole fact that not all the comments are are, are negative, no. and and we yeah. do have a negativity bias where any negative comment is going to weigh heavy on us. Yeah, we're, we're social creatures. Like we're designed to be able to function in a society where the majority of the people like us. Otherwise, we're out out of the tribe in the jungle by ourselves trying to you know pick some <laughs> berries or something. Right. In the way that that's translated here in like in social media, for example, especially now during the pandemic where people are fully digital, you know, yeah. in, in many aspects, that's their reality. Their reality is Toby commenting, dude, seriously, those are the biggest ears I've ever seen. And it's like, <laughs> now they want to cut their ears up. Yeah. Yeah. I was okay with my ears before Toby said something, but now it's like, Oh, I want to pinch them back and go to Dr whomever doctor surgery right. oh all the plastic surgery that's something i've been talking about on stage recently because i'm a big fan of the body positive movement mm-hmm. body positivity i just wish it would include the face like for some reason the body positivity movement ends right here it ends on the neck down <laughs> and then face up oh yeah get your face fixed you need to fix your eyebrows you got to fix your lips your nose is wrong your ears stick out i got one ear that sticks out you got to fix all that, but face down, it don't or neck down. You don't have to worry about it. And it's like, why aren't we including the face? Yeah. I've seen so many bad, like plastic surgery jobs where I'm like, there's no way that looks better than what your regular face would have just ended up looking like. Um, but it, once again, that's social pressures. That's outside yeah. coming in. Yep. And so, there's uh, a lot to do with that. I mean, ageism and, and uh, just, you know, people picking on each other, I guess. Yeah. And, and I hope that people see the, the importance. We're, we're all different, all different. Yeah. And we have to see beyond those superficial things. Right. I, I personally, I am, I am one that I like imperfection in, you know, when I see a, an individual and I, I want to see like, you haven't noticed yet, but notice now this eyebrow is higher than this one. I'm not going to say it anymore. Oh, and, I see it now. Well, there it is. Like if there was yeah. a caricature of me, it would have this puppy up all the way <laughs> to the top. <laughs> and I've made peace with that. Like that's, right. yeah, that's, that's how my face is arranged. And yeah. I'm going to rock you. The ear sticks out a little more than the other. Yeah, that happens. It yeah, it happens. And well, that's how it happened. And, you know, for the young men out there that perhaps are listening or, or watching this, it is okay for there to be some aspects of you that, other people might find funny or might find a little, uh, a little different. The, yeah. the aspect is try to do your very best to be healthy. If, right. the, if the problem here is that, you know, I have 30 more pounds than I need, even though nobody's complaining about complaining about my weight you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> and how horrible it would be that they take credit for it then. Oh God. <laughs> At the end, it's like, you see what I did for you? You needed oh. that. That would be worthy of a one-way flight to wherever that person lives. <laughs> like, I'm going to have a talk with you if you're really taking credit for it. Good Lord. Yeah. Man, so uh, 
Yeah, Zoltan, I wanted to say thank you so much for being a gentleman, for accepting my invitation to come and have this conversation. Oh, of yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast, man. Oh, it, it is definitely my pleasure. And, and I, I admire what you do. I appreciate what you're doing. And, you know, thank you for taking the time to actually bring some of these things to light in a funny, insightful way that's going to make people think about it. Harry Styles wearing a dress. Listen, it's okay. If he yeah. wants to wear a dress, that's fine. And if you don't like men wearing dresses, well, then don't wear dresses, right? Yeah. Don't hate people that wear dresses. Yeah. And, and stop stop, uh, stop being that guy that is now putting pressure on everybody else to conform to your idea of yeah. what masculinity is. Yeah, if your idea of happiness is what's going on outside of your control, you're gonna, you're really setting yourself up for a rough life. Because <laughs> your happiness needs to be things you can control. And because if it's not, you're, yeah, that's a constant kick in the pants. <laughs> that's for sure. Be happy, do what you want to do. We're all going to die anyway. That's what I would <laughs> say. Memento mori. That is the truth. Yeah. Uh, Zoltan, thank you so very much. We'll close with that. I really appreciate it. Uh, for the listeners, thank you so much for uh, your listenership, for paying attention to our, our efforts to bring what the modern gentleman should be in the 21st century and help us spread the word about Zoltan's comedy. He's doing a great job out there. Help us spread the word about the Gentleman's Brotherhood and our mission to make you a better man today. Thanks for listening. Before you switch to the next podcast, let me ask you a question. Did you find this episode enjoyable? Did you find any part of it edifying or informative? If so, please consider supporting our show by choosing one of these options. Mainly by sharing it with other men through social media or through your own blog. By leaving a brief rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Or simply by making a purchase in our store at thegentlemansbrotherhood.com. Regardless of the way in which you choose to support the show, thank you. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.